people are the most consequential and dangerous forces on earth. Well, personality psychology is about the nature of human nature. It's about people. And wouldn't that be useful to know? I mean, it seems to me, I can't, I can't think of a more important problem. You're listening to the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments, the global leader in personality assessment and leadership development since 1987. Your hosts are Hogan Chief Science Officer and world-renowned personality psychologist, Dr. Ryan Sherman, along with Hogan PR Manager and resident storyteller, Blake Lepp. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, along with my co-host, as always, Blake Lepp. Say hello, Blake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast, episode 53. Today, Ryan and I will be discussing the similarities between entrepreneurs and criminals from a personality standpoint. As wild as it sounds, they really aren't that much different, and we have the data to back it up. So... What separates someone like Jeff Bezos from notorious mob bosses like Al Capone and John Gotti? Let's dive in and find out. So, Ryan, uh, today this episode will just be you and me, but uh, this is one that we we really wanted to touch on, something that I obviously found very interesting. I hope our listeners do as well. But before we get into the meat of this conversation, I'm sure our listeners probably did see the title of that episode and can... I can only assume that many are already questioning how we concluded that entrepreneurs and criminals have similar personalities. So before we talk about that, can you talk a little bit about the data that backs this claim? Sure. So the, the data come from a couple of sources here. Uh, obviously, one source is uh, we do a lot of work with, with entrepreneurs. We do work with entrepreneurial groups. Um, we do work with entrepreneurial startups and colleges and universities. But then we've even done some work more recently with what we would call highly successful entrepreneurs. We've done some episodes on that. Uh, Jennifer Tackett at Northwestern has been our guest on, on at least one episode, of, if not two, talking about these successful entrepreneurs and um, what makes them different from sort of entrepreneurs or, or people who are trying to uh, become successful entrepreneurs. And big picture, there, there aren't huge differences between those groups. There are some subtle differences. But the point is, uh, for, for the purposes of this episode, we've got hundreds and hundreds. I would, I would actually say pretty sure at this point we have more than a thousand people who are in this entrepreneurial category uh, who have taken our assessments. They've taken the HPI, they've taken the HDS, they've taken the MVPI. So we know about what motivates these people, what drives them, what they uh, want to do in life, what uh, they look like when they're putting their best foot forward and, and the kinds of things that will get them into trouble. Uh, in, and when they do get in trouble, how, how that's going to take shape. So um we, th those are the, that's the big data source for, for entrepreneurs. We also have a really cool data set that was um, provided to us through uh, collaboration with our, with uh, uh, our partners at A&D Resources in, um, in Denmark. We also uh, worked with a couple of academics who had some local access to um, 
to, to organize crime uh, members in, in that area. And so uh, I, I want to be clear about this data set. What makes it really exceptional is that organized crime in this part of Europe comes with a particularly steep penalty, uh, much steeper than just common kinds of crime. And so to be charged as an organized crime member or to be associated with organized crime um, is really quite different from just, say, petty theft or being involved in one crime at one time. So when we're talking about this sample, it is really quite unique. And we've got a, almost 60 people, uh, or maybe it's 62, something like that, or right around 60 people in the sample um, who, who have, again, also completed our assessments, the HPI, the HDS, and the MVPI. And one of the things that, of course, stood out is really interesting here was uh, when you look at scores for these two groups, just how similar they are. Well, I mean, the fascinating thing is, and, and I'm not sure that we'll ever really know the answer, but it's how do you get access to these people? Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's what blew me away at first. It's like you say we have, you know, you know 60 plus in this sample group. And it's like, where do we find these people? Yeah. And so this was re the real value of our, of our partner. And look, we, we've done work uh, in the past. And again, I want to emphasize what makes the sample so unique is that these people are not currently incarcerated, right? So um, they may have been charged with a crime in the past, but they're not currently incarcerated. Most samples of criminals, most personality data on criminals go to prisons and actually assess people who are currently incarcerated for a crime. And so what makes this one really unique is uh, that, that, that our collaborators were able to um, get access to members of this organization and have them actually complete these assessments as, as part of this research, which is really uh, quite quite the challenge. Um, I, I obviously, I wasn't involved with the data collection directly, but um, you know, I can't even imagine exactly all the protocols that had to be put in place to, to make this work, but we're super grateful for it. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know that we could, <laughs> I don't know if we could dream up a better scenario of you know, getting access to this type of information again, without going to a prison where someone already is incarcerated. So the fact that somebody that we partner with was able to do this is, is really incredible uh, in and of itself. So uh, moving on, Ryan, whether you're an entrepreneur or an organized crime member, success is obviously of paramount importance. So what characteristics do those who pursue these, quote, occupations have in common? Yeah, so that's what's what's really interesting about these the, these two groups is that you know they're, they're both sort of motivated to to uh, to get ahead, so to speak. That's that's one of the big drivers. You know, we talk about core drivers that everybody has uh, motive to get ahead and to get along. This group is really motivated to get ahead, both entrepreneurs and people who engage in organized criminal activity, or really just probably any criminal activity. But again, as we'll see, these organized crime members are really quite unique. Um, uh, there, there's this really interesting uh, article that, that I identified a while back looking at entrepreneurship and, and looking at product, what it calls productive and unproductive and even destructive entrepreneurship. And it sort of distinguishes between these three. And it talks about productive entrepreneurship as the kinds of things we think about when we think of the entrepreneurs of today, the, the, the big inventions that, that we've seen uh, just in the course of history, but also in more recent times, right? We think of these really uh, often very wealthy, successful individuals who invented something uh, or, or brought some new technology to bear or, or reinvented some business uh, to, to make it super successful. So um, those are sort of the productive entrepreneurs. But there's also uh, 
unproductive or destructive or even even destructive entrepreneurs. So unproductive is sort of ones that just really aren't helping uh, do much. That would include things like uh, basically uh, using entrepreneurial tactics and skill to uh, eliminate competition to um, to uh, sort uh, do what we might call rent sinking type of behavior. So this would be you know suing for property, uh, forcing people to pay rent. That's sort of entrepreneurial in a way, but in many respects, it doesn't really add much value to a society. And that's the sort of uh, unproductive type. And then there's the destructive type, and that's when we're talking about really organized crime uh, sorts of behaviors. And and so you know the comment about you know what what drives them, what motivates them, what's similar about them. There's a really nice quote in this article. Uh, by, by Bauman in, 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 um, or by Bommel rather, uh, William J. Bommel. And it was written in 1990, so it's about uh, 32 years old now. But the opening quote here, it is often assumed that an economy of private enterprise has an automatic bias towards innovation, but this is not so. It has a bias only towards profit. And I think that's the real key when we look at entrepreneurship and when we look at, um, at criminal behavior neither of them are really trying to be innovative. That's not really their goal. Their goal is to, to be really successful. And, and in many cases, that success is identified by, by how, how profitable they are. And it's the same thing when I talk about the sort of unproductive entrepreneurs, the ones who may engage in sort of rent-seeking types of behavior. And, and that's really uh, also just about profit. That's not really about innovation or ingenuity. That's just about trying to, to maximize profit. So that's one one key similarity between these groups. But there's a whole bunch of other similarities that really stand out when we start looking at Hogan profiles, right? So uh, when we look at the HPI, we look at the HDS, we look at the MVPI. So um, I'll start, I guess, with with the MVPI. Uh, These two samples... are really similar and basically the entire uh, MVPI profile. So their, their MVPI profiles look almost identical. And by the way, it's the same thing for the HPI and the same thing for the HDS. The profiles, in terms of like what goes, what's high, what's low, are pretty much the same across the board. Uh, there are a couple of differences, which I think, well, I suppose you want to hear about those too, yeah? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, so I guess, yeah, I guess I'll just talk about all of these at the same time. So the, the similarity is sort of in the shape of the profile. So let me just, uh, let me just sort of highlight a couple of points. Um, when, when we look at like, uh, the, the entrepreneur profile, so I'll just start with the, the MVPI profile. We see high recognition, high power, high hedonism. We also tend to see high aesthetics and high science. That's among entrepreneurs. We also see low security among entrepreneurs. And so why is this not a surprise? Well, recognition, power, and hedonism, those are all those getting ahead motives, right? That's all about trying to want to win and get ahead. So that's not a surprise that we see that. Um, We see high aesthetics and high science, which says there's this sort of appreciation for art, appreciation for um, beauty, for making things look uh, and feel really really, uh, just really aesthetically pleasing, uh, but also high science. So there's this bias or the tendency to, um, use tech technology, uh, or data to, to, um, drive the, the kinds of innovations that they're working in. And so that's what we see with, with entrepreneurs. And again, that low security is also, of course, really important part of entrepreneurship because you have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to take some chances. And we see a very similar profile when we look at, at organized crime members. Again, we see high recognition, high power, high hedonism. Uh, we also tend to see, uh, um, uh, a, high, or a lower uh, type of security score, 
uh, among that group because, again, this is about taking risk uh, and, and being comfortable with risk. But the one that really stands out here is different is that low score on aesthetics and lower score on science for this group. So this score, this group is uh, <laughs> a little less interested in the sort of artistic nature of their work, a little less interested in using data to make those decisions, but instead um, – uh, just yeah, really, really motivated to succeed and win, and, and to and to do whatever it takes to get there. So there's there is a lot of similarity in terms of their motivational profile, but uh, just those couple of differences on aesthetics and science, which I think is pretty interesting. Well, one thing you got me thinking of, Ryan, is because we actually live in a place for those who don't know where there was something um, that was once illegal that in a sense is legal now, and that is the medical marijuana business. So I'm curious here in Oklahoma, how many of these people were actually who are maybe were organized criminals who had their own, you know, quote unquote operation prior to that passing back in 2018 or whatever it was, which legalized uh, medical marijuana here in the state. How many, where's that gray area or is there a gray area there where there were actually people who had their own operation who now are legally doing this to where you also have the actual entrepreneurs who maybe were your classic entrepreneur that had the characteristics more similar, um, you know, particularly like the science, the aesthetics, like, is there some gray area going on within that industry? I mean, I don't know. I just brought it up because it just seems like a something here happening in our own backyard that kind of could be a, a pool of both of these different personalities. Yeah. So, so there's a, a few points about, about that observation you made there. Um, one is that, um, when, uh, well, okay, I'll, let me just tell a story that'll sort of, that'll, that'll sort of, uh, touch on this. When, when I was a graduate student, I lived in California and at the time, California was the first state in the United States to put on the ballot, um, the complete legalization of marijuana for recreational use. It was already medical. It was already available for medical use, but they had on the ballot recreational use of marijuana uh, was going to be legal in, in California. Um, polling had suggested this was going to pass. About I feel like the early polling said about sixty percent of Californians were going to vote for this. So most people thought, okay, this is going to pass. In fact, uh, Philip Morris, the large uh, tobacco company. Uh, based, I think, somewhere in, in either, I think, South Carolina or North Carolina or somewhere around there, um, had bought huge tracts of land up in Northern California, where there's lots of uh, farmland up there, uh, where it was pretty clear what their intentions were. Their intentions were to get into the marijuana growing uh, uh, industry at a, at a very large commercial level. Um, and then it didn't pass. And this was sort of a surprise. How did this not pass when all of the polling suggested it was going to pass? And what what we ended up finding out sort of afterwards or the sort of uh, uh, <laughs> sort of investigative reporting that was done after it all happened was that actually there was a huge business in Northern California. Um, uh, and I'm blanking on the name of the county, but there's been uh, documentaries and things like this on the, on the county up there um, that – a huge percentage of the economy up there was based around the illegal, at the time, illegal marijuana usage and illegal marijuana selling. And so it was actually those people who voted down the law. 
that might strike you as odd. Like, why would this, why would this group who is already involved in marijuana growing, marijuana selling, uh, uh, products for growing, like, you know, like certain lamps and things for growing marijuana, why would this group uh, vote it down? And the answer was it was a big threat to their business because if marijuana became legal, um, then uh, the the market price uh, clearly like look if a big company is going to come in and create huge commercial farms the, there would be huge supply uh, of marijuana and the market price for marijuana would go way down my understanding is also that it's very easy to grow uh, and basically anybody can do it and so uh, this would mean that uh, they would lose out on a lot of profit and so that's one of that quote at the beginning I think really uh, sort of hits home it's that it's really not about innovation at all it's really about profits and so when we follow or to use deep throats line right if follow the money uh we see that 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 motivation can happen there and that's the same thing that i think we're seeing happening uh in other places as well i i remember uh being in seattle before again marijuana was not legal for recreational use at the time and i ran into uh this kid who had just graduated high school and we were shooting baskets together and he seemed like a really nice kid and all that and so i you know thought well do you go to school there was a school nearby a university and i said well you go to school here and he said no no oh and i was like oh well what are you doing he's like well i just graduated high school i was like okay well you know you're not going to college you just graduated high school so so what are you doing and he said i guess you could say i'm self-employed and it was sort of hinted at, oh, I see what, you know, I see what he's up to, right? Obviously, this guy was was uh, dealing drugs. Um, and the point there isn't really about whether this is good or bad or whatever, but it was sort of that entrepreneurial spirit that you could tell he had. He sort of had this um, attitude about just, you know, being inventive, being self, self-reliant, not not needing anything from anybody else, just just doing it all on his own. Uh, it just happened to be that the industry that he was doing this business in was one where it would be, quote unquote, illegal to do it in in the United States. And, and I think that's really one of the bigger points when we're talking about differences between um, entrepreneurs and, and organized criminals is um, – a lot of the behavior that they engage in is really similar. It's just in one case it's deemed illegal and in another case it isn't. Well, I'm curious. So we, we talked about the similarities and differences, but mostly focused on the MVPI. Did you see anything on the, the Hogan development survey, which, you know, to our listeners is the, the dark side of personality. Were there any differences between the two groups on that particular assessment? Yeah, I mean, the really striking thing there is how remarkably similar the profiles are for these two groups. They're basically very high elevations across the board, uh, except uh, diligent and dutiful, which tend to be around the average range. But basically from excitable, skeptical, cautious, reserved, leisurely, all of those are high, right? Those sort of moving away behaviors are high among entrepreneurs, but so is mischievous, colorful, imaginative, and those are even higher and bold, right? So you can imagine you know, the typical entrepreneur is someone who's willing to take risk, take chances to want to draw attention to themselves to, to, so that people, their idea will catch on, to have really creative ideas. And we see a very similar profile when we look at um, the, the, the organized criminal profile as well. Again, really high scores on excitable, skeptical, cautious, reserved, leisurely, uh, high school scores on mischievous, imaginative, not quite as high on colorful. Maybe you might think, well, there's probably, you probably don't want to do too much attention seeking behavior if you're actually in, 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 a, in a criminal activity. But but again, we see lower scores on diligent and dutiful. So um, that sort of rule rule breaking part is a really big similarity between these 
these two groups. Uh, so that's that's on the HDS. The other thing I'll m- mention is on the HPI, the, again, the profile, the shape of the profile is very similar where we see um, uh, among our entrepreneurial group, not probably not as a big surprise, we see higher scores on so- ambition. We see higher scores on inquisitive, that sort of creativity. We also see a high score on sociability among the entrepreneur group and a low score on prudence, which again is about sort of uh, not wanting to follow the rules and sort of a moderate to lowish score on adjustment among the entrepreneurial group as well. And a very similar profile in terms of shape for the, the organized crime uh, members, but uh, but at the same time, all of it sort of deflated. So um, the, even the ambition score and sociability scores aren't as high for the organized, organized crime group. The inquisitiveness score, not quite as high, but again, the shape is very similar. So, so sociability and inquisitive are the highest uh, among the organized crime members, just as they are with with the um, uh, entrepreneurial sample, uh, but at the same time, uh, they're, they're still all lower than, than the other groups. So that, that is one key distinction, I think, between these two groups is that um, the typical mode of behavior uh, is, is just a little more deflated for in terms of the HPI dimensions for the organized crime group versus the uh, entrepreneurial group. Well, that, I mean, the reason I was kind of asking, I was curious particularly about the mischievous uh, scale on the HDS, because what you were alluding to earlier, um, whenever we were talking about how uh, the recreational thing didn't pass in California, because this group was able to um, basically didn't want the big corporations coming in and doing this. It's almost like they have their own little uh campaign, you know, and thinking of the like manipulative side, persuasive side of the mischievous um, elevated scores. If you think of it in that vein, because personally I've seen, I'm seeing it here and I've I've talked with medical patients here in Oklahoma as there is a petition to legalize recreational marijuana in Oklahoma. They're, they're not necessarily siding with these potential, potential criminals or anything like that. But it's as if they've been given the messaging to be against this corporate takeover. Um, So people aren't signing that petition because they don't want these corporations to come in. So I was curious if there's like a a dark campaign that these, you know, people who are already in the industry are trying to do to keep these people out. I would, you know, I might be completely uh, drawing a conclusion that's not there, but that's just what my mind went to. Well, no, I think that is a real key. And I think that's where that that quote about it being really all about profitability at some point is really relevant, right? So um, I think just last week or so there was uh, on the – well, what is it called? This Week Tonight, I think is the name of the show that uh, that uh, John Oliver hosts. He did a, a pretty long breakdown on on different tech companies, Amazon's, your uh, Facebook's, um, your Google's, and, and how much data they control and how – obviously, these were started up by entrepreneurs, right? Super entrepreneurial folks, entrepreneur, entrepreneurially minded, and uh, very successful, uh, had, had a huge impact on the U.S. economy, U.S. economic uh, growth and booming, right? All of that kind of stuff that, that these, these things were just really, you know, really great for. At the same time, they're also really dominant and um, uh, suppressive to anything that could be considered competition. So, for example, if you search on Google for something, right, you want to search for a flight. It used to be 
some years ago, if you searched for a flight, you would get uh, information about sites like Expedia um, or Kayak, things like that, that would give you, you know, you could go there and use their search engines to look for flights. Well, now Google actually gives you their own flight recommendations. Um, and you can click directly to uh, the, the, that carrier's website and book your flights that way. Um, the point there is that to some extent, now, as a user, right, like myself, I'm like, well, that's really handy. I don't want to have to go to another site. I want to type into Google and get my answer and move on, right? So it's really handy for me or, you know, uh, any kind of maps or direct, right? I just wanted to go straight to that thing, that information that I want. Uh, also, if you type in a question on Google, it tries to give you answers from the internet. Rather than actually clicking on that page, it just gives you the answers right on the Google search page, right? All of that kind of stuff reduces the amount of traffic that goes to other pages. So Google gets to sort of dominate that traffic and those other pages get nothing. And so it's a real consequence for, for, for those, right? So uh, it's in some ways that Google is, is like stamping out any competition, anything that could compete with it in terms of a search engine. Um, so uh, my point there is this, that there is a real dark side of this entrepreneurial stuff as well in terms of trying to keep others out to try to, in the case of the drug dealing, right, is to eliminate any kind of competition. And if you're going to allow people to do it legally, that's con that's competition with, with what I'm doing illegally. So uh, I, I think that there's a real dark side to to this entrepreneurship as well. And again, I really think at some level, it's not about innovation. Innovation is just sort of the means to um to, to getting to profitability. Okay. So for my next question, and maybe to paint a clearer picture, I'm curious if you have some examples. Um, and these could be, you know, these could be fiction, nonfiction examples, just to, just to give the audience a better, uh, like, like I said, a more clearer picture. So can you provide an example of a successful entrepreneur who would be successful in organized crime and, and maybe why that would be the case? Well, sure. I think m many successful entrepreneurs, uh, both living and, and non-living, um, may have been very successful in, in organized crime sorts of situations as well, where they, where they were sort of leading up an organized crime uh, syndicate or outfit, um, in part because it takes the very similar skills. It takes the willingness to take some risk. Um, it takes uh, the uh, the willingness to uh, not follow the rules, to say, well, those are the rules, but I don't really care about those rules. It's th These rules are the ones that matter. Um to uh, to be innovative and creative, right? To try to find new ways to to succeed and to be super motivated by success, right? I mean, I think that's a real clear part. And so when we look at that profile like that, we can see that with lots of uh, modern entrepreneurs. You know, I think uh, you mentioned uh, Jeff Bezos earlier. I think that would be uh, a clear candidate. I think a Steve Jobs would have been a clear candidate. Um, but at the same time, I think many uh, uh, sort of mafia bosses, you know, your Al Capones, uh, would have been uh, are arguably really successful entrepreneurs. And I think here is a really important point that is again made by this uh, this author. Um, William Baumel in, in his article, Entrepreneurship, Productive, Unproductive, and Destructive, where he talks about um, this notion 
that in any given society, there's some fixed number uh, of entrepreneurs. And, and, you know, we've done this work on, on our data, Blake, on, on, you know, common person profiles in, in our assessments. And, and about 10% of people sort of fit this, what I call a, a disruptive profile, or um, we, we've called it the rebel profile before. Um, I, I think you mentioned fictional characters. I think a Tony Stark would be a good example of someone who fits this kind of this entrepreneurial slash organized crime kind of profile as well, right? So we see, you know, in the, in the movies, Tony Stark uh, doing, or the comics, right, uh, doing this for good. But you could you could argue that the people he's competing against, right, are you know, many of many of the, um, the the people he's trying to stop are just as entrepreneurial. Uh, Right. They just you know, the, the, the quote unquote bad guys are just as entrepreneurial as the as the good guys. Um, but the point here is this, that there's some fixed number of entrepreneurs in, in, in any given society and whether or not they're productive, they're unproductive or they're destructive really depends on the system that's set up. Right. So I think right now, one thing we have going on right now is. With particularly when I was referring to the internet kind of things earlier, right? Your Googles, your Facebooks, um, the the dominance is so powerful for some of these. Uh, your Amazons, right? Um, you know, if you if you don't sell your product on Amazon, you ba- you I mean, you're basically not selling a product, right? You, you, don't, you people aren't going to buy it. Um, so the, the dominance is so strong that uh, what we do is we run a risk of having it so that entrepreneurs become more of that unproductive or even destructive type because you've got these people about 10% of people who are really creative, really innovative, really motivated to succeed, willing to break the rules to get things done. But if there are too many rules or too many roadblocks to get what they want, they will come up with some other means and they will either fall and that may be in the less productive, right? I think we would all agree. Facebook is a very productive tool. Google's a very productive tool. Amazon's very, I mean, everybody uses these. these are, so this is really big, major productive contributions to society. But we, what we do is we run risk of, by blocking out other entrepreneurs, we run the risk of pushing those entrepreneurs into either unproductive or destructive parts of society. Um, and, and that's really, uh, I think, what, what a lot of this comes down to when we look at, well, could this person have been an organized crime, crime member or could this person have been an entrepreneur? I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the way we set up the rules and, and how we uh, may or may not prevent people from being successful. Well, I know we talked about her before in an earlier episode, but it was prior to, I believe, her conviction and sentencing. So would you like to weigh in on Elizabeth Holmes here? Well, yeah. So that, that's an interesting case, again, uh, where I think, you know, we've got someone who, who wants to be really successful, is really motivated to succeed, wants to achieve um, and is willing to break the rules, bend the rules, flex on the rules to try to get there. And uh, and so it's but at the same time, right, it's someone who wanted to look like they were getting there in the way that was legitimate. Right. Wanted to look like they were getting there in a way that wasn't illegal. Um but it ultimately it was illegal, um, and so so I think it's it's a perfect fit for what what we're talking about here is having and, and I, I suspect uh, if if we had our assessment profile we would find one that's very similar here uh, to to, the, to these these profiles as well, which is that uh, you're innovative, you're creative, you want to succeed, you're really motivated to compete and to win, and um, you're willing to break the rules to get there. 
Well, that leads me into the final question for this episode. I figured Elizabeth Holmes, you know, for those who maybe didn't listen to that previous episode or are outside of the U.S. and aren't paying uh, as close of attention to this as, as maybe some here uh, stateside. Um, Elizabeth Holmes was the founder of Theranos. Um, and Ryan, can you can you give the audience a refresher on exactly what it was that that, that the company was claiming it could do? Yeah, so the big idea was that you, with just a one little tiny drop of blood, you could run all of these tests, right? So a lot of people get get tested for a whole bunch of medical uh, issues all the time. There's a huge industry around medical uh, testing, and, and a lot of it has to do with blood. So we'll take some relatively large sample of blood, a, a sizable blood draw, maybe several vials of blood. And those blood vials then get sent off to a lab, and at that lab, they analyze all of these, and then they send back their test results, whatever tests they might be doing, uh, to the doctor. And it can take some significant period of time to do that. What she was proposing was basically a box that you could walk into a CVS or a Rite Aid or uh, any kind of local uh, drugstore and uh, put a f- put, basically put your finger in. It would do a little tiny finger prick, uh, draw just a little bit of blood, and you would get uh, results back pretty much immediately, maybe sent to your email within 24 hours or something like that. Rather, so rather than taking weeks for this testing or, or days and days for testing to come back, you would get your results right away. And this sounds amazing, right? This sounds like a huge medical innovation. Uh, the problem is that there was just no science behind that, right? There was just no way to get all of that testing done from some little box uh, in a CVS or Rite Aid and, uh, and, and with so little blood drawn. So um, it, it sounded like a really cool idea. But obviously, um, the idea was beyond what what the technology, what the limits of technology would allow us to do. And it's one of those things where you know you can dream it, but it, you know, it, does it exist? I don't know. It kind of reminds me, like imagine if somebody said that they, you know, well, I think there's been cases of this, right? That somebody has a time machine, right? Or that somebody has. Um, something that can teleport objects through space, right? You can, you know, uh, send an object from here to there, right? Innovations like that would be truly groundbreaking. Um, but, uh, if there's no technology behind it, then, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. And that, that was really the case with her. Well, okay. I use that because I feel like she's our poster child for that gray area between an entrepreneur and somebody who could also find themselves on the wrong side of the law. So if the line between an entrepreneur and an organized criminal is so gray, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur to keep them on the right side of the law? Well, so there's a couple of things here. One is that I think many people who are considered successful entrepreneurs today in some ways were people who broke laws. Um, you know, there's that, that, a great interaction between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, where they were being sort of interviewed publicly on stage. And um, Steve Jobs was claiming that Bill Gates sort of stole some of his ideas. And, and Bill said, well, you know, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is we both had a neighbor named Xerox. I went over to his house to steal his television only to find out you had already broken in and stolen it. And, uh, you know, the point there was that they both got ideas from other from other companies that, that arguably were stolen, right? That, that was arguably stolen from Xerox and legally those things got battled out and sorted out. And that's one of the things that I think makes the entrepreneurial culture, at least in the United States, so interesting is that typically uh, what they do is they think if I go fast and I make a lot of money, even if I get sued, 
uh, I'll just fix that later because it will be so much money. I'll just be able to pay my way out of it. Right. I mean, I think, um, you know, the social network movie highlights that aspect of Facebook really, uh, really nicely where, uh, you know, uh, Zuckerberg gets sued and ends up having to pay off a large sum of money, uh, to, to, to the group that sued him. And that's sort of the idea that, well, uh, you know, was he stealing, uh, their idea or not. Right. Um, I don't know. Right. But the point was, uh, I think this is a great idea. I'm going to go with it, run with it. Um, and, and then, and then pay things off later. That's sort of been the entrepreneurial attitude. I guess what I would advise, um, entrepreneurs to do, because I don't think, the right way to go is to say, okay, well, be a little more cautious and be careful and make sure. I, I just don't think that's in the nature of, of entrepreneurs to do that kind of thing. What I would advise them to do is to get uh, a second person with them uh, as part of their team that can advise them of, you know, <laughs> that's not like them, that doesn't have a profile like theirs, who can say, hey, this might be crossing line. And I'm not saying that they need a crossing guard who stands there with two stop signs and says, no, 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 all the time, right? Um, but someone who can say, hey, look, that's cool, that's innovative, that's also illegal, um, versus, hey, that's kind of in a gray area. Uh, somebody who can advise them in that way, I think would be really valuable f- for, for those entrepreneurs. Well, yeah, I think that's a great point, Ryan. Um, I mean, you can see that in a lot of different areas. I think in in business is, you know, if you get to a certain position in uh, leadership or power or whatever, but um, oftentimes it's nice to have someone there that maybe compliments you well and, and does things or looks at things a little bit different uh, than, than you do to maybe keep you out of trouble. But For sure. Well, Ryan, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, this is one I was really looking forward to having, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. Um, do you have any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Well, I mean, I, I just think it's a really fascinating topic. Uh, th- this notion that you know, uh, modern day organized criminals are, are not that dissimilar from modern day entrepreneurs, and, and we hold one group in such esteem some of the time, but other groups, you know, we seem. To, you know, to, to obviously society, uh, doesn't hold them in much esteem at all. And in fact, sort of despises them. And, um, psychologically, there's just a lot of similarity there. And I think that that, that goes unrecognized and and underappreciated. All right. Well, that does it for the science of personality podcast, episode 53. Be sure to join us in two weeks for another fun and informative episode. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments. You can access all podcast episodes on our website, scienceofpersonality.com, or on the streaming service of your choice. See you next time.